I'm John from Washington, D.C. I'm Randy from Walla Walla, Washington. I'm Claire Zolke from Chicago, Illinois. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me. If you'd like to support the show like I just did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. On this program, comedian Brent Weinbach. He's got a brand new CD out called The Night Shift. Let's hear a bit of comedy from it. There are a lot of weird people in San Francisco, and I'm not one of them. And whenever I'm looking for a place to live in San Francisco, I always end up calling somebody who sounds very creepy over the telephone. And so, to demonstrate this phenomenon, I have with me a list of phone numbers I found on Craigslist of people who have rooms for rent, and I'd like to call them for you now. Yes, I am calling about the room for rent. Uh-huh. Well, what kind of room are you looking for, baby? Because I got a double, but I also got a single that you can fit a double in. Now, what you think about that, baby? Mm. I'm only interested in a single room. I'm sorry? Are you Puerto Rican? No. I'm half Filipino. Does that count? Oh, honey, that's even better. I got a good deal for you, baby. Okay, I'll, I'll call you back. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Brent Weinbach, came out of San Francisco's fertile comedy scene to become one of the nation's premier stand-up comics, or at least one of the nation's premier strange stand-up comics. He's uh, been featured in the Comedians of Comedy, uh, among many other venues. You might have seen him on Comedy Central. He once recorded a set for The Late Late Show on CBS uh, that never aired because the executive in charge thought it was too weird. Um, and he's one of my favorite comics. Brent Weinbach, welcome to the Sound of Young America. It's great to have you. Well, thank you for having me. It's been many years. You were once on the Sound of Young America. It was in my college days. Yeah, it was in, what, 2004? Yeah, like, at least 2003, a long time ago. Yeah, 2003, 2004. Yeah, that was, um, yeah, Santa Cruz. It's Santa it, Cruz days. It's great to have you back on the show. I, I want to find out a little bit about... Um, Mr. Wizard was on that show, I think. Yes, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> Um, the late Mr. Wizard, Don Herbert. Um, I want to find out a little bit about the beginnings of your career. Uh, when you finished school, you, you were working as a, as a professional pianist, weren't you? I, yeah, I worked as a piano player at hotels, um, and restaurants and other kind of venues like that around San Francisco. Yes mostly jazz background music. I would have liked it to have been more of a show, but it was more just background music. So I got, you know, sometimes I don't think people were, 
appreciated it as much as they would have if they were coming actually out to see me. So. Did, did you have the idea that that's what you were going to do for a living forever? No, yeah, I, re- I mean, I like after school, I kind of no, I mean, I, I had worked on some comedy stuff in college a little bit, but I, uh, you know, but I, I was, I did move to San Francisco to be a professional musician though, and to get involved in film as well. But yeah, I was, I really kind of thought I was going to try to be a musician though. Yeah. No, how did you get the idea that you were going to start doing comedy? Well, you know, I mean, I had been working on, I worked on stuff even in high school, but I, I worked on stuff in college and it just took a, a little more motive. I guess I had a friend in college who was doing it and he took me around uh, the scene in San Francisco for a week and I followed him around just being around the people there. I was really inspired to, it made me want to be a part of the scene more you know, just the camaraderie of all the comedians. I wanted to be a part of that. So that really made me want to force myself to, you know, get involved. When you say when you were working on stuff in high school and college, what kind of stuff were you working on? Um, just bits, you know, different bits. I, I, I like wanted to do stand up wise, you know? So, um, yeah, I was always working on stand up bits and working on it with my friends and stuff. And friends of mine were always telling me I should do it. So do you remember what, what any of them were? Well, some of, some of them are bits that I still sort of do today. Um, the, uh, you know, gay eyes is, was something that, you know, I sort of worked on in college. And then in high school, I, high school and early college, I wrote a routine that was very sort of hackneyed, you know. But at the time, I was, I was genuine about it. It wasn't ironic. But I later turned that into a bit where um, I sort of become a, a hackneyed comic. Which I think you're probably familiar with. Right? Sure, yeah. Um, and that's that's actually that stuff is material. I mean, I pretend to be this kind of corny comedian, you know, like, hey, everybody, how's it going? Yeah, I know what you're thinking. If Pee Wee Herman and Mr. Bean had a baby, this is what it looked like, or or uh, you know, like talking about Indian guys at convenience stores, stuff like that. Um, we're talking about being half Jewish and half half Gentile or whatever. And what a crazy household that is, or whatever. Actually, you haven't heard about that because I, that never made it to the the ironic version of it. So, um, but but the, yeah, all that stuff. A lot of that stuff is stuff I wrote when I was younger, and um, so it became this yeah this ironic version of it, this sarcastic version of of stuff I used to be genuine about. So, when did yeah. that? When did you have that real? I mean, that's like a big realization to realize. Oh, I would like this material that I'm performing right now better if I was doing it ironically and, compl- and sort of making fun of it. Yeah. When did you start to figure out who you actually wanted to be on stage? I think it was kind of a process because in my early years of college, I was, you know, I kind of thought I could be conversational and be like a lot of comedians I saw on TV um, when I was a kid. But then I think by the time I was a junior in college, I, I was thinking of bits that were a lot more abstract, like very, very abstract, just weird noises and sounds and stuff. So it was the complete <laughs> opposite. And I think by the time I was a senior in college, I was, I was, uh, I was kind of starting to figure out a balance between that two. And then after college and being around more comedians and stuff, I was starting to see all these different styles and I was starting to see more that comedy can be really whatever you want it to be. Um, and you, it doesn't have to be. Jerry Seinfeld, and I like Jerry Seinfeld a lot, but uh, you know, I think that a lot of people want to be him, you know, when they're younger or whatever. So I saw all these different styles, and it made me, I, th- I think, kind of listen to who I was more 
Um, and that's that's how I figured it out. It's just yeah, seeing I guess seeing different styles. I mean, I was also like, influenced by Joe Frank. Even my stand-up was the albums I've done um, were inspired by Joe Frank, but also my stand-up originally was inspired by Joe Frank because um, I listen used to listen to him a lot in college. And um, Joe Frank, not to interrupt, sure. the, uh, uh, a radio artist who's who's done radio theater on public radio, sure, uh, yeah. and and monologue scored with music and uh, telephone calls and all kinds of things, very influential in the world of. Um, radio art and radio reportage in terms of, you know, This American Life and uh, other similar programs, but I, I interrupted you. No, 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 no. We need that reference point because um, I, I don't expect anybody to know who Frank is, actually. <laughs> so I like the way that he would tell stories, and um, I, I was I kind of thought that that's kind of how I, I want to do stand-up is sort of tell stories and be sort of more serious about it, um, but talk about absurd, silly things at the same time. Sometimes people criticize me for not dating enough women and not knowing enough about romance and relationships. But I already know everything there is to know about relationships, and I can sum it all up in one sentence. Women are from Venus. Men are from Pagina. But what that became when I actually was doing it live was was it became something else, though, because you couldn't really do something like Joe Frank in a coffee shop or a laundromat where people are making a bunch of noise. You have to project a lot more than that, or you have to be bigger than that. I mean, that's something you can sit down and listen to, but it's not something you can really... I mean, you can watch it, but not for the kind of crowds that I was performing in front of. Like, not at open mics, though. You have to be kind of louder than that. So it became, it evolved into this high, my version of high energy, which is <laughs> more intense, basically, um, and and not as deep and dark, I guess, or something. I don't know. Knock knock jokes are for the birds, aren't they? <laughs> knock knock jokes are for the birds. Aren't they? That's why I wrote this next joke. Knock, knock. It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Brent Weinbach, is one of my favorite stand-up comics, but he's also one of the strangest ones I've ever seen. You cut a really distinctive figure on stage. You look very different than what people might imagine if they think of a stand-up uh, comic on stage, you know, that sort of um, uh, brightly colored sport coat with a T-shirt underneath oh, and, right. and you, know, you know, acting things out with one hand. You um, half Jewish, half Filipino, kind of a skinny guy, and you hold the microphone in front of your face with both hands. Um, almost in, I don't know if I've ever seen you hold it with one hand. Well, if I, I'm doing a character, I'll probably hold it with one hand. But, know, but generally speaking, you deliver it as though you were holding like a a very short broadsword. Um, when did you start holding the microphone that way? I, from the first time I did comedy, I always hold, held it like that. It was the most natural thing for me to do with my hands. I think was to just hold, you know, hold the microphone with two hands. Were like you self aware of that being odd? Um. I mean, I'm probably not self-aware of a lot of the weird things I do. You know? <laughs> so, 
Maybe I wasn't. <laughs> you must have, you must have been, you must I, have I, become I mean, aware of the effect that it no, had. No, no, no. I mean, people would always come up to me and do this to me. I mean, they would, and, and for those of you who are listening, um, instead of watching, there's only one person. It watching. looks like you're it holding, like a holding a very short, short broadsword. Broad um, so, um, people would always do that as a physical impersonation of me. And so that sort of became a trademark, you know, um, or one of my trademarks is holding the microphone like that. But yeah, it's an, it's just a, sorry. Uh, it was the most natural thing for me to do is really yeah, what it is. Um, but what I was going to say to address what you're saying earlier is that people expect to see when they see comedy, you know, um, well, the sort of character I was talking about earlier, you know, Hey everybody, how's it going? But I, I just, I realized that that's not, that's just not who I am. I mean, I can't be that way because it's just not, it doesn't feel natural to me and it feels phony. And I, I've, I mean, some people are very good at being conversational and stuff, but to me, I just don't feel, I don't feel genuine about that. And I can only, you know, deliver lines in a very deliberate way because I'm not really trying to create an illusion of, of being off the cuff or conversational. When it comes to meeting women, a certain friend of mine told me that I'm too nice and too safe and that women like men who are more intimidating and a little bit dangerous. Girls like a bad boy. So recently, I've been practicing being more intimidating in my bedroom by myself with a pillow and two hammers. <laughs> but tonight, I would like to try out my new approach on a real woman instead of a pillow and two hammers that I made to look like a woman. <laughs> Can I use you as a volunteer? I'm not going to touch you. Okay, come on up. Hi, my name is Brent Weinbach. What's your name? Alessia. Alessia. That's a beautiful name for a beautiful woman. I want to take you on a boat trip. Have you ever had really difficult experiences with audiences who weren't ready or uh, weren't willing to sign up for what you were, who weren't buying what you were selling is the metaphor I'm searching for. I mean, for. It's, yeah, that still happens, you know. I mean, I, I thought I was over the hump of that happening. I thought, like a couple years ago, I had a really bad set and I was headlining at a club and uh, it was in Texas, Austin actually, and it was a packed crowd and I had a really bad set. And then I kind of at one point um, thought I got over the hump and thought I had figured out an hour long set or whatever 50, 50 minute set that was that would at worst do mediocre i thought you know but yeah in march i was in madison wisconsin and i had a pretty good week at a club but this one show it was a saturday early show um, it was a really packed crowd i think a lot of people from surrounding towns had come in to see that show not knowing what to expect obviously um but just had a really rough set. People were just not not on board for it. You know, they just wouldn't. And really, I I just I I, I like to think of that my standup is really just sort of silly um, and just really stupid too. Um, but I think sometimes people think a little too hard, and they tr they're trying to understand it when they don't really need to try to understand. They just need to uh, just, just experience it and not think about it. Yeah. When we come back, find out where inside Brent Weinbach's head all of this stuff comes from and why he's doing away with as many words as possible. It's The Sound of Young America from PRI Public Radio International. <laughs> 
Production of The Sound of Young America is underwritten in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. This September, MaximumFun.org is headed east. You can check out The Sound of Young America Live, our live stage show, in Philadelphia September 16th as part of the Philly Fringe. It's a live Sound of Young America program played out before your very eyes with music, comedy, and interviews. Our guests on the Philadelphia show include the Spinto Band, comics artist Charles Burns, the director of the Mutter Museum, and more. Then the next night, we'll be offering the freewheeling comedy of the Monsters of Podcasting. That's You Look Nice Today and our own Jordan Jesse Go. On the 18th, we'll be headed to New York for a live show at the Jerome L. Green Performance Space at WNYC. My guests include Scott Adsit from the NBC Comedy 30 Rock, musicians Nellie Mackay and Andrew W.K., and much more. Saturday, September 19th, the Monsters of Podcasting hit the UCB Theater in New York. For more information and tickets, visit MaximumFun.org. Hey, what's happening? Mike Schmidt, host of the 40-Year-Old Boy Podcast. Available on iTunes and at MikeSchmidtComedy.com. What's the show about, you ask? I can hear you asking it. That's right. You know what the show's about? Me hearing people talking in their houses as they play me. That's right. If you're playing my podcast or you hear my voice, please know that I can hear you at all times. I'm tapped in like that. I'm kind of like the dog whisperer, but via podcasts. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. So go to MikeSchmidtComedy.com. Go to iTunes and subscribe to the 40-Year-Old Boy Podcast. It's no uh, uh, Sound of Young America radio show but it's the sound of young america i'm jesse thorne my guest is brent weinbach and his new comedy album is called the night shift tell me a little bit how about how you develop your material it often seems to be um an idea that's grounded in traditional comedy and a little observation uh, a little joke that spins into you know, sometimes just crazy noises. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. Um, I mean, for one thing, the stuff I've learned from from watching other comedians or the comedians that I looked up to when I was starting was uh, the comedians I liked a lot would make a joke and then do an example of it and then do another example that would take it to an absurd level, you know? So so basically making a joke and then, do, and then act, doing an act out and then taking it to this absurd level that was you know, just didn't make sense or it was just really ridiculous and silly. Um, so that, that was sort of a formula that I learned from watching other comedians and that was funny. And it was a way to get to a weird place. Um, it's a way of bridging, uh, you know, something to a weird, something that's relatable to a weird place. But then also, I, I'm also interested in just forget, you know, not even creating that bridge, but just going right into something that's very abstract and something that, because I really don't like words, actually, to be honest, you know. I like st- sounds of words and sounds, uh, sound effects, and fu- like funny voices and stuff, and just stuff that I think taps into th- to things beyond words, you know. Because um, I think, to me, to me that, that creates a bigger response for me when I'm watching comedy, um, or watching anything, actually, music or whatever, when there's less words involved. Because words are very much in the head, and... Um, what I want to do with stand-up comedy, uh, or what I what I try to do is is you know tap into something that's not in the head but more in the in the body, 
in the heart. I mean, it sounds kind of corny, but the, yeah, something like that. So, so sometimes I can just, I might just tr- jump into something that's really abstract already. And, but it, hopefully it's like s- silly enough or funny enough that people, th- they may not understand it in their head what they're laughing at, but they'll understand on a deeper level, I think. Yeah. Can you give an example of something with you? Well, you know, I guess there's a newer piece that I've been doing called the Russian alphabet, and that's just pretty, pretty abstract. I just say this is the <laughs> Russian alphabet, and then I just go through the alphabet, you know, and just saying random words with in a Russian accent. You know, <laughs> that's an example, I guess. A is for ace. B is for bubbles. C is for sizzle. D is for these nuts. E is for E. Michael Jackson Auditorium. F is for if I fall in love, it will be forever. G is for jiggle. Jiggle. G is for gibbler. Kimmy. It's more and more leaning more towards that. I'm more and more realizing that I just want to stay away from words as much as I can, you know. I mean, it's good to do a joke every now and then, keep keep something going, you know, doing – it's good to keep words. Words are, are – that's a bridge, I guess, using – having other jokes scattered throughout these, uh, these abstract bits, you know, to keep things going for a crowd that, you know, is not, you know, willing to just jump into just ab- abstract stuff so quickly, but I don't know. It's interesting because, I mean, if you think of somebody like, uh, I don't know, George Carlin or something like that, who's many, many comedians hero and obviously was a, was a brilliant, brilliant comic, um, who was obsessed with words. Yeah. Or even like, um, uh, you know, like a, a contemporary comic, like a Dimitri Martin or something like that, who's obsessed with that in the head quality. Yeah. Um, and the way that comedy is often sort of composed of like little puzzles that you have to put together and right. take apart in your head, um, little puzzles of words. It seems like you're almost at the exact opposite of sure. the spectrum. Yeah, sort of. I mean, but the th- yeah, no, I am. I mean, I am actually definitely like that. It, I am. I, I do sort of. I'm, I'm more interested in the opposite. But you know, with. Carlin, it's. I also there's another factor that um, aside from the word, if someone is focused on words. Um, if they bring an energy to the way they're delivering the words, that takes the place of just doing sounds and images. I mean, because the ener- the performance. I mean, that's why I think the performance is so important. Is um, if they bring an energy to the words and a performance to it, that's that's what creates the the. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? That's the that's the the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, I don't know. Like I don't fa- believe in the words. Factor, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? See, words are you know that words je ne are pointless. Sais quoi. Like, yeah, there. No, but that's what creates the 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 aspect of comedy that's more abstract, sort of to me. You know, is is when the energy is there. They're like the um, there's like a funny energy. You know, that's that's what can make if they're talking about words and they're really into words, but they have a funny energy to deliver that. 
that's that that's for me that that works too though you know so if i'm going to do a more word-based joke i i still want to deliver it in a funny way though you know or bring a funny energy to it you know it's the sound of young america i'm jesse thorne my guest brent weinbach is one of my favorite stand-up comics but he's also one of the strangest ones i've ever seen here's a clip from his new album once I went out on a date with a Chinese woman to a Chinese restaurant. And so, to impress my date, I learned some Cantonese so that I could order in her native tongue. The waitress came up to us and said, Hi guys, can I take your order? And I said, Give me pork bun, I need pork bun, please. Still cut me off. I got nobody. No, my gusta. Give me pork pan. And my date said, What the hell? Where did you learn how to speak Chinese so well? I learned from the streets. You talked a little bit about your new CD being more inspired by that kind of Joe Frank sound art world than the traditional stand-up comedy CD, which is usually just a record of a of a comedy performance in, right. in audio form. Um, why did you want to make this other kind of comedy CD? I wanted I want people to be able to, you know, get something after show, like buy buy something after show that wasn't what they just saw on stage. You know, I want them to be able to get something different um, or listen to a joke in a different way than they heard it on stage, you know, um, because I think it, it might be kind of boring if they just, I mean, maybe they do want to hear what they just saw, but I don't know. I, I think it'd just be more fun to hear something different, um, just delivered a different way or whatever. So that's like the most important thing. And I'm going to sort of negate that be, by, with the CD release shows um, in San Francisco and Los Angeles, because um, I'm going to try to perform the album and perform it in the way that it is on the album too. So, um, I'm going to try to do live musical accompaniments to, um, these sort of monologue type things that are on the album. That's the only time I'll do that. But most of the time I'll do a normal straight up, straight stand up set and then have this album that and I always like to tell people too, it's, it's different than what you saw on stage because, um, yeah, I just think it's more interesting, you know, than just hearing a live set, you know, I think. Yeah. How is it different for you to uh, be writing material for this, um, you know, to perform in a silent recording studio uh, rather than writing material for, for a live audience that's, sta- that's sitting in front of you? Well, it's different in that you just, I mean, really the only difference is because I'm very deliberate on stage anyway, um I mean, it is like a theatrical monologue sometimes for me anyway on stage, even live. But the only difference is that I'm not asking for a response from the crowd, really, uh, as much as I am, you know, in a studio. I mean, sometimes I'm I'll actually like literally ask, you know, right men or right, right ladies or whatever and, you know, expect a response. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that on, on <laughs> in, the, in the studio, obviously. Um, although I am ask, asking the listener sometimes um, questions, so... But I'm not waiting for it, at least, you know. Um, and then, uh, and and then also, you know, I, I do a lot of 
I do a lot of things on stage that involve audience members as well. So I'm obviously I'm not doing that either. You know, there's a lot of interaction. There's a lot of music on oh, uh, well, the CD. Yeah, that's that's actually kind of the difference too. Also, though, it's not. I think the stuff I do on stage is a little more punchliney. I mean, there's there's more there's laugh points. You know, there's more laugh points, and I think um, the laugh points on in these studio bits are um, they're they're a little more vague. You know, I mean, you can maybe be laughing through the whole thing, or maybe I, I don't know. It's 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 different. It's a different feel. It has more of a storyteller vibe to it, um, and then. And then, and there's music too. Yeah, like you were saying. <laughs> you actually, um, you actually wrote a few songs for this album. With your your sister is a, a professional musician here in Los Angeles. Oh, she lives in San Francisco now. Actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, she's a professional musician in San Francisco. Sure. Uh, Laura Weinbach. She does. Um, uh, she does what what might be called indie pop or or chamber pop or something like that. Avant folk, maybe. Exactly. I don't know. Not not quite. Yeah, sort one of, of the, avant folk. Something one like of that, those yeah. things. And and she continues to she's continued to work as as a musician. Um, what do you what do you think about about writing songs that are at times surprisingly sincere? I think. Yeah, I mean, it was. Well, we just thought it'd be neat uh, to. Um, to have just something different like that on the album. Some, okay, well, here's the thing. Sometimes if there's a piano at a show, I'll close my set out with one of these songs that's not that comedic, but um, they're kind of humorous and they're kind of, you know, I don't know, it's a different, they're sort of old-fashioned too, the songs. Um, and I just thought it, it's kind of a neat way to end a set, even though it's not like a laugh-out-loud bang. It's, it's more of a, I don't know, maybe more of a thoughtful way of ending a set. I don't know. Um, and I just kind of thought that it'd be neat to have that on the album. There's only three songs, like original songs on there. And, but to be frank, that's three more original songs than there are on most comics. Yeah, albums. yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, so it's just, it's just a way I, I did, I've done a couple sets where there's a piano there and I actually do interrupt my set to do a song and then go back into the jokes. And then, I don't know, it's just, there's. The whole idea behind this album in particular is that it, there's this variety show aspect to it, kind of. Um, and so that just sort of plays into that. There's a lot of different things on it. There's the studio bits. Um, there's phone messages. There's uh, you know, these, there's all these different aspects to it. So I thought these songs that I've written, um, you know, I've written over the years, it would be a nice touch to sort of put these, you know, not... I don't know. I, I, maybe it's going to be... Maybe it's not gonna, Maybe people won't like that so much, and it maybe. Uh, I think it sort of works though because in a stand-up set, a live stand-up set, you have a momentum going and stuff, and if you you can kind of kill that momentum by doing a song, uh, I've done it before successfully, but I can imagine that not working though too. And then with this album though, because it's so many different sort of things in the album, I think it might work a little more. Here's some of a perfect day to say I love you, the song that ends Weinbach's album Night Shift. the clouds hide and all of the raindrops leave I think of a song when children's eyes widen from what spring days conceive the music grows strong they sing along boys flying kites Girls having tea, careless. 
the sky so blue. Playtime excites, warm melody. Even old gray, grumpy men say, "I love you." Times like this run fast. How long will it last? And when the sun's shining and pretty birds are whistling, I find the tune. Dancing trees refining. Well, Brent, thank you so much for taking all this time to be on the Sound of Young America. It was great to have you again. Oh, thanks for having me. So. Brent Weinbach's uh, new comedy CD featuring, gosh, all kinds of different stuff is called The Night Shift. He's online at brentweinbach.com. It's true. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our music provided by Dan Wally. Our editor is Nick White. Our intern is John Kim. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, MaximumFun.org, where you can get all of our shows as free podcasts. And that's more than just the Sound of Young America. And you can discuss the shows or check out our blog or do any of a number of other things. We'll see you next time on The Sound of Young America.